Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to create game-changing disruption. I'm Sean Mason, founder of Man on Fire, and your host for the Combustion Chronicles. Throughout this series, we're bringing together the most unique and influential minds we could find to have honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, blowing shit up, and working together to influence our shared future. We believe that when bold leaders ignite consumer-centric ideas with passion and grit, the result is an explosion that creates a better world for all of us. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Harper, Chief of Radical Experiences at Mophie. So on this episode, we are speaking with Dave and Aaron Leverton. And over the course of 2018, the Leverton family of five sold everything they own and set out across the country on a year-long 50-state excursion to listen, learn, and share their journey as they try to answer one question. What would it take to bring unity to America? This question became a critical one as they began their mission to see an awakening of reconciliation and unity in America. They founded Undivided Nation with the hope that America is ready to explore the offenses that have driven us apart and find the points of connection that link our stories and draw us back to one another. Dave, Aaron, welcome to the Combustion Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, Dave, Aaron, this is really near and dear to mine and Michael's heart. And I love this whole thing around the mission to see an awakening of reconciliation and unity in America. So, as you describe this, you know, this journey to explore the root causes of division in America and discover what it would take to heal our divides, how did that become your mission. How did this story begin? Like, as I shared with you briefly, I'm Native American. My father was full-blooded Native American. So I truly understand what it is to live and to have lived um, before he passed with a red skin and saw what he went through. I can't imagine. I have two children. You have three. And all of a sudden, you just one day sold everything and started on this journey. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, it's, it's a long story and developed over a lifetime, I would say. But there was a few real catalysts uh, that uh, I can look back and these were these markers in our lives that changed the course we were going on. One was the birth of our daughter, Grace, nine years ago. When she was born, we uh, were told she had Down syndrome. And that changed our entire worldview of what makes someone valuable in the world. What gives somebody worth? And, and Aaron and I both grew up in very educated, professional uh, families. And so we highly value things like a great job, a career, a retirement savings, maybe even a vacation home, and a college degree hanging on the wall. These are the things that give you status and worth in this world. And we were looking at this baby and had to decide, have we had a child who has value in this world? And we believe and have learned over the past nine plus years living with her is that she is one of the most special people on earth. And it changed our entire way of looking at other people because it's so easy to judge grace based on what you see on the outside, but the gifts and the power and the love that she carries is way more valuable than a college degree. And so that was one of our big moments. 
And then the other was the 2016 presidential election. I had worked a dozen years in Republican politics as a campaign operative, as a Senate staffer, uh, worked the Republican National Committee, different things like that. And I began to see in that election, which I was not a part of, Americans going to war with one another. I saw some signs of a civil war brewing in a way. I began to see violence in the streets, not just political disagreements, but blood was being spilled. And, and it just troubled me deeply until one night, Aaron comes up to me in the kitchen out of the blue during the middle of this campaign where you couldn't turn on your social media feed without just feeling horrible about the world. And she just asked this question out of the blue. Yeah, I just, I was looking at him and he was distraught. And I just said, hey, if we didn't have kids or mortgage, which are really the two sort of things that I would think he were weighing him down in terms of responsibility, if those things were lifted off of you, what would you wake up and want to do tomorrow? And he looked at me and he, without blinking, he said, I would do something to help bring unity to America, which was kind of a shocking answer because I hadn't really heard him talk about that or, you know, it just came out of the blue. But it was it came from someplace deep inside of his heart. I think recognizing I helped, I helped create this problem through divisive fear-mongering political campaigning. And I need to do something to help be part of a solution to fix it. If you could probably see my face right now, you would see a lot of emotion coming from just your opening already. And two things, like we've never talked about this and not have this conversation at all, Dave or Aaron. Like, so I have a five-year-old son who is adopted who has autism. Mm-hmm. And what that has done to change my life and the way I look at things, I cannot even begin to tell you. Yeah. So to hear the story of grace and what happened. And I just had a conversation recently with a very senior executive in a fortune 10 company around diversity and inclusion always talks about, you know, race, sexuality, religion, but this whole concept around neurodiversity yeah. is a new concept. And I had no plans on talking to you guys about this, but it's like my, my spirit is saying, here's someone in common with this, right? Like my wife and I every day wake up to go, how do we find a place in the world for Colby where he can thrive and not be ashamed of who he is or what he is. But yet we live, just experienced something where we were in a location on a vacation and he was very loud and the people right next to us started making fun of him as a Mm. five-year-old. And I have that that we can talk about. And then Dave, I grew up in a political family. I saw what it was like. And I actually saw politics when it was good, if you can say that, and know that today my mother would be rolling over in her grave as she saw what was happening in America. So you guys have this real discussion with each other. And so many people have those real discussions, right? Like as couples, but you left your comfort. You left a successful career and all of that and started out on the road for 
grace for America, I would say probably for your souls even. Talk to us about that. Like, that's just, not many people have the tenacity to do it. Like, you did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a process. It wasn't like the next day after I asked him that question, we got on an RV and took off. I mean, we had a very intense process leading us up to the journey itself of, of going. The first thing we did was we decided, well, if, if we want to bring unity to America, we need to understand the vision. And we very quickly began to realize we don't understand the vision. We live a very myopic life that is very insulated from the rest of the world. And we just had this inkling, like it wasn't even a knowing. It was sort of a suspicion that there was a whole lot out there that we simply couldn't understand because we couldn't see it. And we didn't know that that had what we didn't know that that had to do with our skin color and our religious background and all of these sort of features of our lives. But we knew that we were missing something. And so that was enough to begin us on trying to figure out how do we answer this question of what's causing the problem, right? So clearly we're divided. Clearly we're at each other's throats. Clearly this country is being pulled apart like at the seams, but we don't really know why. And there's tons of people. I mean, you've got the media, you've got politicians, everyone weighing in on this, right? And the big question is, are they right? Are they wrong? Are they, who's right? And we began to realize very quickly that if we wanted to find out the root cause of our division, the only way that we were going to discover that was experientially learning it by going and asking people all over the country. So I woke up one morning and I had this epiphany that, and we're people of faith. We love and believe in Jesus. And I think that when you do, sometimes he gives you radical invitations to do crazy things. He was a radical person. He was a disruptor in his society as well. And so for us, the invitation was, why don't you sell everything and get on an RV and go find out from real people what's going on here. And that proposition was one of the scariest things I've ever heard in my life. I'm a, I, my background is interior design. And I felt like I was getting an invitation to step into faux paneling world. And <laughs> not to mention the fact that it would be a 90% downsize, an enormous financial uh, sacrifice. And not really, there were so many unknowns. How is this going to impact our children? How is this going to impact our education? How is this going to impact our bottom line? There were a million unknowns. But we knew deep down in our knower that if we said no to this, we were going to somehow miss our destiny. And so we decided to say yes. And the season that came following that yes is what I call the season of dying or unraveling or untethering, where we began to actually walk out the process of not believing that we, we mattered for the reasons that we had taught, been taught. Does that make sense? And other people as well. Yeah. You really can't see other people clearly in terms of their value until you begin to unpack why you believe you yourself are valuable. And we had no idea. You don't really know what you're believing gives you value until you challenge those things. And so stepping out of a zip code that's considered a good one, stepping out of the status as homeowner, which is sort of your ticket in America to, you know, the American dream. These are all things that we stepped away from and we didn't realize that those were things we were checking boxes saying, here's why I matter. Here's why I matter. 
And when that became, when that started to kind of unravel for us by choice, it's like we suddenly had to look ourselves in the mirror and say, wow, I was really believing a lie about myself and why I matter. And therefore we're believing a lie about other people around us and why they matter. Yeah. David Aaron, this is this is Michael, and I would love to dig a little bit deeper into your understanding of disruption in all of this, because you obviously disrupted your lives to go disrupt something else. And my suspicion is what you maybe set out to disrupt at the beginning of the journey changed along the way somehow and could be changing today, which is a part of a part of the, the disruption process, right? Yeah. It's the epitome of empathy, of walking in people's shoes and listening to people. How has disruption evolved for you in, in all this? Yeah, very much. I think, you know, the journey of disruption, if you will, just begins with one step. You know, we kind of thought we knew where that step was leading, but we didn't know exactly. But that first step was really a theory that our political divisions we're tearing our country apart and if we can just get republicans and democrats to sit down together for dinner possibly we can begin to heal our divides if we can get just these two opposing factions to see each other as human we can begin to break down some of those walls and so that was what we started with that first step and the very first state we went to out of 50 was a state near and dear to you guys oklahoma and we went to tulsa oklahoma and we began learning about the Tulsa race master from descendants of people who were impacted by that. We began spending time in Native American reservations uh, around there at Osage Nation. We spent a decent bit of time up in Pawhuska. And we began to see that these divisions that, for me, were displaying as political were symptoms of things that were much, much deeper and go way, way further back than I thought. And these were divisions in the very foundations of our nation, of the founding of the United States of America. And we are not going to fix these over there. And so we began just digging deeper and deeper. Just, you know, every time we felt like we found, like, here's why we're divided, we'd find something that just kept on having our minds expanded and blown and humiliated over and over again by just this longing question, how did it get this way? And we just kept asking that question when we found answers that were really, really hard, paradigm-shifting answers. So we continued to pursue them because we believed in this value that all people in this land, no matter their skin color, no matter their religion, no matter their developmental abilities, no matter their legal status, are infinitely valuable. Powerful. Dave, you know, Michael talked about that disruption and and you talk about how you just kept digging and unearthing all of these problems. So in this part of walking in empathy, um, we talk a lot about it and even going from mindsets to heart sets, like at what point does it almost feel overwhelming when you realize both Dave and Aaron that it's not just one thing that has divided us. It's several. And how does that not become so overwhelming that you just want to throw your hands up in the process 
or how do you choose the one to go work on first? That's a really good question. I mean, I think overwhelmed would be the perfect word to describe us at any given moment on that journey because it is overwhelming. I liken it to a fish swimming in water, not knowing that it's wet. And suddenly someone pulls the fish out and turns the fish around and points its face at the water and says, look, and you're shocked because you didn't know. And for us, we began to discover that the water that had kept us healthy and swimming all our lives had caused other people to get sick and die. It had removed all the things that they needed in order to thrive. And we really began to realize that the America we know is not the only America there is. There are other Americas. And reconciling those is a process. It is, like Dave said, it's a humiliating process because you have to unpack what you believe to be true in light of someone else's truth. And that does take an enormous amount of empathy. But the things that connect us are stronger than our lived experiences. You know, for me, the moment, the cataclysmic shift happened when I sat down with another mom. So I I sat down with this mother, this black woman in Tulsa in this first stop of our journey. And she tells me about the day that she gave birth to her firstborn child and lost her baby in the delivery room. Not because the baby was sick or anything like that, but simply because of lack of care. She was a single mom of color on Medicaid. And I realized decisions are being made every day by human beings, whether it's systemic or personal, rooted in this belief that one life matters more than another life. And so our journey suddenly shifted out of politics into understanding why we believe one human can matter more than another human. Where does that come from? Why do we fuel that with our beliefs? You know, the word racist, I had a picture in my mind of what that looks like. A racist is a person who's shaved their head and is walking around Charlottesville carrying a tiki torch, spewing hate. I had no idea that I was a racist. And that's an important step in the process of untethering from these belief systems is acknowledging, hey, there are beliefs flowing through my veins that are racist in nature. And that really shook me because I had to, I had to start redefining things. You know, just like the day we met Grace, suddenly we were redefining things. Fragility, that's another word that gets people really upset. Well, when you grow up in a dominant culture, you're being, fragility is being cultivated in you because everything works. And I'm not saying that all white people have it great, but there are systems in place that help us thrive. And that does cultivate a level of fragility. And so if you're fragile, I think it's a good thing to go out to the gym and start working out and like strengthen yourself. And one of the things you can do to strengthen yourself is take a good long look at these words like fragility and supremacy and some of these things, privilege. Yeah, some of these things that have really set some white people off. It's like, well, let's look at it. Let's unpack it. Let's not be afraid. And that was really the essence of our journey is people being patient with us, giving us permission to wrestle with those things and giving us context through their stories to challenge our paradigm. I want to be brave enough here, you know, and transparent with our listeners and and with us, Dave and Aaron, you not knowing the history of Michael and I, and we have another colleague, Robin, who are both sitting here going, oh, Robin should be on here with us as well. Beautiful 
soul black American who just has this heart that you're talking about. But when I hear you sitting here talking about it, I want to call it out for what it is because I think it's something that happened in my life. Michael, I know it's something that happened in your life. You know, I was raised in a conservative Christian way. Michael was raised, you know, a more progressive Christian way. But the reality of it is, and I don't want to be this blunt with it, but there's a part of it that there was some brainwashing that happened in each of our lives, your lives, as you talked about. And to frankly, I was a pastor for 10 years. And I walked away from the conservative church to do this self-exploration and realize that actually my place to pastor, Dave and Aaron, is in the world you're talking about. And it's loving people for just who they are. And I talk about there's two things that the scripture really tells us to do is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And if I can do that and I can accept that, it's not my place in this world to place judgment on anybody. But yet, like you said, Aaron, and I loved how you called it out, there's part of me that was a racist and didn't even know it. And stuff I still work on today. I look a little bit more crazy, bleached hair, earrings, sometimes blue hair, sometimes pink hair. And I remember the first time being out of this country where I felt racially profiled in an instance going into another country. And I can't imagine. I know what I felt in that moment, what people are living and how that feels and You know, we actually put in that paper that I shared with you about one of our team members, you know, she said, and this is Robin, we were talking about, said, you need to know that your black team members are not okay. In the midst of what's been happening in our world since, you know, COVID and the the racial upheavals, you know, you you spent the whole year and what can we do, the Combustion Chronicles, our ecosystem, what can we do to join with you at Undivided Nation today to start helping clear this undivide that's happening in our world? I think the great thing about it is there are millions of Americans who have never seen how broken we are and are waking up to a country that they feel is hopelessly broken. And I think that's really wonderful time to have change. And so I can really just go back on our journey and our transformation. We've had really three pillars. It was experiential, educational, and relational. And so what we're doing, and you know, we'd love to connect with you guys any way we can, is inviting people on a journey themselves. Well, they don't have to you know, sell their home and live on an RV that maybe for a week or a month or you know, kind of some period at a time can begin a journey that encompasses the experiential where we're stepping outside of our bubble, outside of our media echo chamber, outside of our friend group, our social structures that give us this sense of security and step into places that have shaped our American story. Let's walk places on the trail of tears. 
Let's stand on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Let's go in these places and let's talk to the people whose lives have been shaped by this. That was a huge piece of our transformation. And the educational piece is then giving context to what we're experiencing. Yes, you saw this anecdotal issue in Tulsa, and you learned about Black Wall Street, one of the most thriving Black communities in American history, and how it was burned and bombed and terrorized by white people in that town. Let's think and let's look at that in the context across the nation. What else was happening in that 1920s time frame? Why was this happening? So that educational piece is really important. You know, looking at your own community, why do all the black people live on that side of the highway? Let's learn about redlining. Let's learn about how the Department of Transportation was strategically putting in roads to separate people by race. So that educational piece is there. And then lastly, relational. These things that we experience and that we learn must have a place to land and a face to connect with. So like, for example, when we're living in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I used to live, I needed to have a connection with somebody on maybe this other part of the town that I was living in. That allowed me then to care if there was something happening with maybe that school wasn't getting funded correctly or something. And I began to realize that these are not blind statistics and policies and things of that nature, but these are things that are impacting my friends. And when your friends all look, think, and act like you do, you're not going to be connecting with a lot of those stories. And so those those three pillars are something that we've been working on on, on a project and such. But th- these problems are so vast and so deep that it's going to take many, many, many people across the country with a similar heart as ours to uh, to begin to overcome. You know, when we talk about the Combustion Chronicles, we, we say it's not for the faint of heart because these are the real conversations we're trying to get at. And so living into that, that deeper, more difficult conversation, you know, you mentioned earlier that y'all had uh, experience with the Republican Party, me being on the other side of the fence, I got to be honest in that when I first started hearing about the conversation, doubt started filling my head because that's part of what we do, right? We're so ingrained in our ideology, we, we put on our defenses first. Instead of keeping that open mind that, that could move us forward, I'm curious to know how you're getting this revised message, this evolving message that y'all are working to, to get into to get out into the world. How do you find it's best to do that, knowing that so many folks have so many biases without even starting to listen to? Well, I think that there's a sort of a combination of things. The first is curiosity. And like Dave said, I think right now people are waking up and and I'm talking about my fellow white sort of middle class Americans who have lived in this America that has worked really well for a long time. And suddenly they're waking up and saying, you know, I think we might have a problem. So that curiosity is an important spark in this conversation. The next is humility and the willingness to say, there is a chance that I'm wrong. There's a chance that the things I've believed about myself, about my country, about my opponents, that it could all be wrong. And so coming into a space where you, with those two elements, I think is a winning combination. And I have hope 
because I have seen that over and over and over again in the people we've met. Not just the people who, because the people who we met have taught us about their America, but they were also willing to allow us to have our story too. And so we are starting, in terms of practical ways to get people on the on-ramp of this conversation, we've done a couple of things. We've launched our podcast, which is a space where we've invited the, vo- the actual voices of the humans who changed our lives to tell their own story to an audience, a listening audience that is going to probably reflect people who come from a background similar to ours, which is white, conservative, somewhat, you know, maybe evangelical background. And then the other thing is I've written a book, which I'm currently in the process of getting published, that gets really into the weeds of our journey, both physically and emotionally. The process of traveling across America is our our process of being transformed. And, you know, a lot of people out there are calling for white people to instantaneously become anti-racists. And what I say to that is you cannot ask someone to be opposed to something that they don't know exists. And this is not about change. This is about transformation. And shame is the vehicle being used predominantly across our country right now to, to instigate change. And while that may last a short time, and people may say, yes, 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 let me check that anti-racist box, what it doesn't allow for is real transformation where you go into your own heart and soul and mind and unpack the beliefs and the traditions and the deeply held, deeply rooted identities that you're clinging to that are causing this problem. And so those are, those are two things. And then the other thing that we're working on right now that we want to try and make available soon is an e-course that invites people to go on this journey. One of the big, big, big things we believe in is creating a shame-free space to process things like whiteness. There are people out there who have written incredible works explaining the history of these things like whiteness and supremacy and how it manifested in the past and how it manifests today. But to be perfectly honest with you, I think those many of those works will not see the fruit that we need for real change because the tool of choice in many of these works is shame. Yeah, and many of the great works and the, the things that are out there are not speaking to an audience because this, this enormous audience is not looking for this stuff. And so I think it's really important to realize that many of my former Republican colleagues are not going to Barnes and Nobles and picking up how to be an anti-racist. And so we've got to meet people where they are and speak a language that they're speaking and allow people to be where they are in their process. And, and I started this process believing that race was not a thing anymore. And so, you know, I've got to continue to have that in my mind. It's like everyone is beginning a journey, and I don't care where you begin this journey. If you're as ignorant as I was, there's hope for you, and you are welcome to join this journey because it is a journey. You've got to start somewhere. And it, it frustrates the heck out of Aaron so many people expect you to begin your journey on third base of this of this journey. And this is a long process, and we've got to take each step at a time. And we can't skip over these first few steps and say, okay, I'm ready to go, you know, take my white privilege uh, anti-bias test and march at, at the uh, latest thing. There's, there's a process that you need to go through to get to that point. 
I've noticed also wow. there's just a hierarchy built into this this woke culture. It's yeah. like it's creating its own hierarchy of human value and essentially saying, well, if you're not as woke as I am, then you're not as valuable, which is just completely ironic. It's so important to give people permission and not to shame people because as white people, we still have the, the, the privilege to walk away from the conversation on race because, yeah. you know, it's not something we have to wake up and deal with. And so we can, we can insulate ourselves and pretend that didn't happen. And so cultivating a space of true processing without shame, I think is the only way to get people on this journey. What I appreciate about your words, especially are that it's not just for one side of the fence. Question. No, it has that, to be both. Exactly. It's not, it goes, that hierarchy of wokeness is not a helpful context either. I mean, when we were going through the deep south, we were learning it in our first kind of handful, 12, 15 states. And man, this is amazing how backwards and broken and some of these things are. I can't wait till we cross the Mason-Dixon line and get up into the progressive north and, and see what life is like up there. You know, it's one thing to go vacation in Vermont or in Boston, go to a baseball game. It's another thing to do what we were doing, living in communities and such. And man, I was so disappointed that when I got into the progressive and woke north, I found classism and racism and many of these different isms and divides manifesting in many ways worse than they were in the South because they were masked so often. It's like, yeah, hey, we're going to put on a pretty face, but I don't want you to look close to me and that kind of deal. Whereas in the South, it was a little more overt. And so, you know, this, the problems of our divides, this is not a Republican right-wing problem. This is a problem that affects a large number. Wow, you guys, so much there. And I hate that we have to start to wrap this up. You know, Dave, Aaron, you have us. We are here to join this journey with you because it is a journey. And I love and appreciate, Aaron, your passion around that, um, that you just can't expect it to, you know, I think, Dave, you said you can't expect people to be at third base right away with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. That this is a big journey happening. So as we close out these Combustion Chronicles, we do um, this little section called um, the Combustion Questions, which are three randomly selected questions from an amazing algorithm we use, which is Michael's head. And so I'm going to turn this over and let Michael... That's right. uh, Let Michael ask you your combustion questions. So go ahead, Michael. Okay, Dave and Aaron, are you ready for your combustion questions? Yeah. We're ready. (laughs) I love the enthusiasm in your voices there. Combust away. <laughs> Combust us. Question number one. If you joined the cast of Survivor and were allowed to bring one luxury item with you to the show, what would that luxury item be? And you each get to answer one item. Oh my gosh, that's the most random thing I've ever been asked. Do I have electricity on Survivor? No, sorry. Okay, that, that canceled that then. I don't know, you go. I don't I can't remember. I'll tell you, from from living on an RV for a year, I gain an appreciation that I do not need anything to be happy. You know, these creature comforts that I surrounded myself with living in Dallas, you know, four thousand square foot house, 
when I went down into a 400 square foot RV, I didn't need this stuff. So I'm coming on Survivor with a pair of orange Tennessee shorts, and I'm ready to go. That's all I need. Oh, man. That's so good. No big blue. No big blue. I guess I would just come on in with my Baylor Bears t-shirt because I'm kind of the same. That's not original, but okay. No, it's not original, but I can't think of anything else. Fantastic. Question number two. What is your favorite day of the week? And you each get to answer. During COVID, they all kind of seem the same to me. And so today is my favorite day of the week. I would say Friday because our family does a little tradition where we, we call it ice cream Friday, where we have a little ice cream and we take turns picking movies. The kids have gotten into watching movies. And so we're expanding our, our movie watching with our kiddos right now. And that's been fun. Love it. All right. Final combustion question. What do you think about rocking chairs? I think they're magical. I think all chairs should rock. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place to leave it off. We will leave it with that. Well, awesome. Dave, Aaron, what a privilege. Um, This has been, and can't wait for our listeners to hear this, and your journey on exploring this undivided nation and what you are doing to unify America. So, Thank you guys so much. Um, stay safe and be well, and we will talk soon. Thank you. You Thank too. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. None of this would be possible without you, the listener. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, look us up at Man on Fire Social on Instagram and Facebook, or find us on YouTube at the Combustion Chronicles. Give us a shout and join our disruption movement. And check out this episode's downloadable recap page at manonfire.co. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe you're just blowing your own shit up, don't worry. We've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review if you like what we are doing. And if you don't, do it anyways. Stay safe and be well.